This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Live and Learn with me, Dutchman Johan. Election goodies and local council elections are usually seen as two separate matters. But recently, Dr. Benjamin Lowe, who's a senior lecturer at the School of Media and Communications at Taylor's University, he's also a visiting fellow with the ICS Yusuf Ishak Institute. He wrote a column for Malaysia Kini discussing if local council elections can destigmatize election goodies. So what's the connection there? Which is what we're going to be talking about today. Join Joining me on the show is Dr. Benjamin Lowe himself. Welcome to the show, Ben. How are you? Hi, Dashran. Thanks for having me on. Could you start by clarifying how you define election goodies and how does it differ from um, you know, blatant vote buying? All right. So election goodies generally refers... This is something that a lot of uh, local election watchdogs have sort of like coined this term. And it's not something that's unique to Malaysia. It's something that, mo- that happens everywhere around the world, but uh, it is often mitigated in different ways. But generally speaking, election goodies are things that are presented during uh, an election campaign season. And often these are presented by the governments themselves. And usually in most cases, uh, whenever governments do this, they are at a huge advantage over the opposition because they can often leverage governmental resources. They can rely on state support and powers to sort of like present these things. Now, in a lot of, uh, in certain countries, often during an election campaign season, they often make it so that uh, whenever, because um, when you go into a, a campaign mode, uh, more, more often than not, most people, uh, politicians in government will have to either step down or right. take on a caretaker position like we do here in Malaysia. But in those situations, they are, they, they are often not allowed to use anything related f- coming from the state, essentially, because that gives them a very, very unfair advantage over every other political party not in government. So... And in Malaysia especially, election goodies are a huge problem because uh, often you will see uh, whenever we've got like a big the general election coming up, in the either the months leading up to it or even the year leading up to it, you'll see that the government will start to announce a lot of new uh, benefits. They'll announce major policy decisions that uh, will usually be populist in nature, meant to pander to as many voters as possible. Uh, the idea here is that they're trying to sort of uh, motivate people to vote them into power. And they often do this very close to election, which is why it's seen as a very problematic practice. Now, election goodies generally happens at two major levels. You happen It happens at the federal level where it's often major uh, policy decisions and also maybe the announcement of big federal projects. Mm-hmm. And it can also happen at the local level where it's, you know, they announce uh, major uh, infrastructure developments or major uh, bonuses that are going to happen towards uh, local at the local level, essentially. So um, we as we can see in the current state election uh, campaigns, we've, we're seeing a few of these happening at different levels. So again, most of it pandering towards the sort of like the B40 and M40 of Malaysia, essentially. What's the difference between election yes. goodies and vote buying? Uh, the thing is, vote buying is often seen as a highly illegal act. The mm-hmm. idea here is that, you know, this often involves some sort of like a, a financial or a, some sort of like a quid pro quo situation with, with voters, basically. Like, I pay you 50 ringgit, you vote for me. Yes, okay. that's a very direct, very yeah. obviously a sort of like a... a, a sort of like a cry, illegal in very much right. the sense. But election goodies, again, it's often just uh, either the federal government or the state governments making announcements, which 
technically there's nothing illegal with that, but it's often based on the timing of it. So that's uh, the problem lies where often it's uh, it's assumed that either the government will redirect funds to benefit the political parties in charge, or they will delay or strategically move announcements to benefit them the most. And elections are usually where they come in as well. Could you explain how these announcements, um, election goodies as you put it, um, and handouts impact the electoral process? So usually, and again, this is not, not necessarily unique to Malaysia, but different countries have different ways of managing it. In Malaysia, up until very recently, our uh, election process was very, very rigid and very, very, uh, how do you say, L- low in frequency. Mm. For the most part, for most Malaysians, you pretty much just vote once every five years for your general election. I think maybe if you're in Sarawak, that's a different because their cycle is very, very different. But for the most part, that's all people think about. And mm-hmm. I think for a long time, a lot of voters in Malaysia have been trained to think that, oh, I only need to vote once every five years and then I don't have to think about politics anymore, which is why you there are some Malaysians who still openly claim that, you know, I'm not a political person. They only pay attention to politics during elections and outside of it, they don't really have to do much beyond that. And when our country was having a very strong, uh, we were having very good economy, everything was decent, you know, the uh, cost of living, everything was quite maintained very well. All of those things work because I think for the majority of Malaysians under pre- the sort of like the BN administration from before, that was really the main focus. As long as uh, the country was relatively p- prosperous, every, nobody really would have anything to complain, which is why um, opposition found it very difficult to challenge it for a very long period of time. Right. But now, a lot of those uh, economic issues are not really very clear cut. You know, you can see that no political party can really guarantee economic economic well-being, you know, and that's one of the big challenges that we're seeing. So um, as a result of that, um, politics now is very, very unstable. You notice now, you know, different, uh, and I think even in the way that the election goodies that we're seeing right now is really focusing on alleviating many of the economic woes of uh, the working and middle class in Malaysia, essentially. Right. Now, you wrote something very interesting in your article, and that is, in the last three years, and I'm quoting here, in the last three years alone, we've had at least one state election each year, and each is often treated as a proxy challenge to the mandate of the federal government. Since we are going to be having state elections again, um, you know, uh, in, in, in a couple of days' time, this idea that state elections, um, you know, are treated as a proxy challenge um, to the federal government, a mandate of the federal government, this is a problem, isn't it? Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, and I think it also, again, goes back to the role of how most Malaysians have a very limited understanding of what their vote actually does, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, and it goes back to this whole idea of um, for a lot of people, they treat their local elected representatives as a one-stop service centre to a certain degree, you know. Like, um, the idea here is that uh, the people that you vote for are essentially lawmakers. Their main role is to uh, basically represent your voice in deciding what laws will pass to in either your state or at the federal level, essentially. So, usually, if you are voting for a member of parliament, they are going to be voting for laws that will affect all of the whole country. So, um, it's basically, they are your voice to say how the country is governed. Mm -hmm. And at the state level, it's more about what happens within the state essentially. And again, in Malaysia, um, there's not a lot of devolution of powers to states, essentially. So uh, state assembly, state assemblies don't really do much. It's often very, very, uh, at the municipal level, it's very, very local in that sense. But for a lot of people, because 
that's the only people they have voted for. That's the only form of agency that most voters have. Usually people go to a lot of their local politicians or rep- elected representatives for just about anything that affects them. Things like, um, you know, there are potholes on my street, uh, there's a clock drain, or even like I can't get a job or I've got issues with uh, sort of like uh, loan sharks and things like that. And um, the thing is, that is more of a symptom of the fact just that most Malaysians just, uh, like a lot of the other governmental processes that are present, either are very oblique or they're not very clear, or it's just easier because, again, these elected representatives are very much visible. It's sort of like, I voted for this person, so he's that, that person should decide or at least point me in the right direction. Right. And again, until we sort of like break away from that, that's really going to be the reality. And so in that sense, when people think about voting, and because most state elections usually come in a general election together with the federal, uh, all elections are seen as having a huge importance because we've been trained uh, as a country, we've been trained to look at elections that way. It used to happen once every five years, so there was a degree of stability in between. But now, because of the new uh, political situation, we've... I, I mean, I mentioned there's a state election once every every year for the last three years, basically. Uh, but again, we're not even... Like right now, even today, we're still... There's still always this concern that could the federal government fall at any moment, essentially. And that's... And as a result, any form of voting where you give power to the people has that little bit of... um, uh, It can be seen as a proxy to the change in public opinion. Right. Um, Yes. And and that's what I want to ask, right? What is the implication towards the people, right, when it comes to... When when the focus is not on, let's say, when we're talking about state issues, um, the focus is not on state. Instead, uh, instead it's on federal, right? Yes. And, and, you know, it's a... Like you brought up, it's a mixture of different factors, right? On the one hand, um, you know, that's the culture this country has um, inculcated over the years. Um, On the other hand, there is fear-mongering by the the big coalitions um, at the federal level. Um, And on the other hand, there is this, like you rightfully said, um, when you look at how fluid our political landscape, there is genuine fear by the people that the federal government could change. And so they must treat state elections as sort of like a like I, I, I either support the federal government like a show of support or a show of rejection because the federal can actually change. Or at least that's the, the sort of new normal people are getting used to. But what is the implication towards people when they go to the ballot box and, they are, and although it's a state elections, they are making their decision based on whether they like Anwar Ibrahim or Muhyiddin Yassin, so on and so forth, instead of, you know, who, who is going to govern them at Kota Damansara at the state level and all. What's, what are people losing out on? Well, another very important part is that, yes, even though these state elections technically shouldn't affect the federal government, but remember... If your state is in opposition with the federal government, that could actually have a huge impact on the kind of resources that you get, the allocations that your state gets from the federal government. So it could even affect the way that uh, projects or development are coming into where you're living. And I guess for people in urban areas, uh, like especially if you're in the urban areas of Slango, that's not really a concern because you are... uh, we are basically in the most developed part of the country mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, and in fact, I think a lot of the concerns that we're seeing in uh, in sort of like the Klang Valley metropolitan area really is more about trying to reduce the, or limit the development. So it's a very, very different conversation. But for everybody else in the rural parts of all of these states, it is extremely paramount for them that they ensure that they get the, they choose the right move for them to make sure that they get uh, the clearest path to development. Because again, as I mentioned in my article, 
one of the forms of election goodies, especially for people in rural areas, is that these actually provide a meaningful way for that for them to get development. You know, there's a lot of if you talk to people who, especially people from like the from the urban parts of Malaysia who are wondering like why are these people voting against their self-interest whenever you know um, when it comes to an election and this is when you see the politicians promise like oh I'll build roads I'll build you uh, I'll give you internet I'll give you uh, bus stops and things like that uh, but the thing is well uh, yes, for all those of us in urban areas where we, we naturally get all of these benefits, for people in rural areas, those are, those are the only opportunities that they get those kinds of developments. Usually, outside of election periods, they don't get any. Or those developments are very, very limited and very, very uh, sort of like not really consistent. And so for them, that's really the only meaningful way they're going to get development. So for them, I think one major concern that people always get is that they want to make sure that whoever they vote for tries to be as close as possible to who is going to be in government. And again, you have people who are now in opposition who are expecting that the federal government may change. So that also influences how they're going to vote. Do I want to vote for a party that is currently in sync with the federal government or vote for a party that could be in sync with a future federal government? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So now you brought up something in um, in your article, which I find um, quite fascinating. And it's a, it's a bit of a, a little bit funny also in a way, because like, you know, this whole thing, um, you know, it, it's also tied to election goodies, right? Something we've been talking about um, since the start and how in just in the in the past week or so um, we've got a firm commitment from the Selangor government at least uh, some the firmest they've ever um, been in a while about you know how the, the PJD link is, is dead um, now the Tioman airport project is is canned you know these are brilliant things um, farmers are getting more subsidies um, and and what it'll make one wonder you know political fatigue and all aside um, if there's elections every year I mean give us more more of these kind of goodies right more canned um, um, environmentally damaging pro- uh, projects and, and so on and so forth and this is something you brought up in your uh, your article as well, where you talk about you know how you more frequent elections um, that will help to hold governments accountable. Could you expand on this a little bit? So when I brought that up, I think that's a so one of the reasons why election promises are so problematic is that because you vote once every five years, whatever goodies are presented, okay, if it's handouts, okay, that's something that is a very tangible benefit that people can get. So that that one is quite uh, that one is quite clear. But for things like uh, announcements of projects or all these uh, other things like cancellation projects, those things can change at any moment. And Mm -hmm. so if you announce during election period that you're going to have all these projects, and again, this is something that used to happen quite a bit as well, big mega projects are announced and then nothing happens after that. So they're just sort of like empty promises. But when you have a shorter election cycle... Uh, so, so what used to happen would be they announce this project, they win the elections, and then they carefully forget about it, and then they wait for the next five years, and then they can sort of like recycle many of these promises as well. But if you have a shorter election cycle, people will easily remember many of these things. They'll start to bring back like, oh, didn't you promise this before? Or if you decide to renege on whatever you promise, people can then use that to very clearly sort of like ding you back based on those situations. So that's one of the reasons why having more opportunities to sort of like... Uh, 
give a way to sort of like uh, direct your feedback towards the government would be a good way. And currently right now, because we don't really have any other uh, avenue for doing that, even uh, the ability for regular people to influence uh, what laws pass in parliament is still quite limited. So really, whatever we want to do really can only happen at the ballot box at the moment based on the way that our country is run. Absolutely. So this idea that you're bringing up is not so much that, you know, we are we are saying that we, you're saying that you like that things are so fluid and instable that we have to have, um, you know, random state elections happening at every time. But to highlight that, you know, this this idea that the politicians, if they have such a long time where they are not held accountable at the ballot box, they sometimes will just, you know, sprinkle some goodies at the start, not do anything for three to four years. And then at the end, before the next election, they sprinkle some more goodies as well. So how do we change that into something a little bit more, um, um, a, a little bit more concrete, which is what we're going to be discussing after the break when it comes to local council elections. On the show with me today is Benjamin Lowe. He's the senior lecturer at the school. Of Media and Communications at Taylor's University, also a visiting fellow at the ICS Yusuf Ishak Institute. We'll continue this discussion after the break. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Dashran Johan, and on the show with me today is Dr. Benjamin Lowe, Senior Lecturer at the School of Media and Communication at Taylor's University, also a visiting fellow with the ICS Yusuf Ishan Institute. And we're talking about a recent article he wrote on Malaysia Kini about election goodies and local council elections. So, um, Ben, you know, uh, before the break, um, we talked um, in depth about how election goodies, what they are. Your, you suggested that local council elections could be a solution to this problem. Why and how? Well, one of the reasons is that we don't really have a lot of opportunities to vote. And I guess now because the... well. You know, a lot of people are calling this... Uh, one of the ways that this issue is sort of like minimized in other countries is through what we call midterm elections. You know, you have right. a, you have either a major election that is not meant to sort of like change your uh, the executive, your president or your prime minister, but you do allow for there to be some checks towards other policymakers. So either you can have like a major state election or you allow, like in America, they allow uh, half or a, a portion of their Congress and their Senate to be voted on at the midway point at every president's uh, four-year term, essentially. Mm -hmm. So it's a good way for um, for to sort of check on the public approval towards uh, these uh, sort of like two branches of government, essentially. So that's one way we can do it. But we don't really have anything like that. And to be honest, I think state, I think currently this state elections is being seen as a midterm, but it's too close to the Fed, the general elections. Right. But, Would you say yeah. that the, that this, you know, this whole, the way that the state elections is being, that people are campaigning, the narratives, the, the referendum, it would have worked better if, let's say, the state elections was happening in, let's say, 2024 at the end or 2025, you know, because now, in a way, even if you want to look at it as a referendum, the government only has had eight months to, to do their, their thing so far. Yes, uh, definitely. I mean, the reason why we're having these state elections is because of our constitution. Correct. They had to have it at this point. Yes. That's the point where it expires. Mm -hmm. uh, to be honest, I felt that these state elections are unnecessary. They should have just been done together with the general election. But, you know, um, again, states have the prerogative to decide when this needs to be done. And we're having another major election not not even one year after the big general election that we have. So, uh, and that was something that some people raised, you know, that these elections cost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But we'll get to that a yep. little bit. Uh, but yes, so 
one way to sort of like minimize that is to have more regular elections. So right now, even this state elections, these are all out of sync because we've always been trained that whatever we focus on, the big major thing we focus on is always general election. And even general elections are not actually run on a fixed schedule. It's always up to the government of the day to decide when to have the election. So uh, that's why we always have the term snap elections. You know, you right. either have elections, call elections early, catch the opposition by surprise so that you can sort of like uh, leverage your incumbent status. And in a lot of cases, they either delay it or they prolong it in certain ways as well. But the idea here is that there's always uncertainty. And when there's uncertainty, people can't make plans and things become more expensive as a result mm -hmm. of that. So what I'm proposing basically is that because trying to change and switch to a midterm style election system is going to be a lot more costly and would require substantive uh, changes to our uh, current constitution, essentially, local council governments would be an easy solution. And the idea here is that, so local council elections would be to allow people to vote for the sort of like the members of the local council in wherever they're staying. So this would be a way for them to manage whatever it is they're doing, to uh, really govern uh, issues at the very, very local level. So the things I mentioned before, you know, you need to mend potholes like clear clock greens. Local councils would be in charge of doing that. And this would be a very meaningful and tang and provide some level of agency for people to know that, oh, I can vote for people who are directly affecting where I'm living in that sense. And because local level, local council elections are at a much smaller scale, you don't have to do like a grand local council election that runs across the whole country. You can do it by state, you can even do it by municipal council. And because it's much smaller, these are things that uh, they can be done at various stages, at various levels, and it's going to be a lot cheaper. And if you were to make this into a regular occurrence, again, um, the terms don't even have to be very long. They could be uh, every few years, they could be a lot because again these are more practical issues you know uh, when you the reason why we have uh, general elections happen once every five years is that you want to give the government that's voted in an opportunity to execute long-term plans you want them to have to feel stable you want them to feel like they have some time to really settle in and do all of these things but at the local council level all of these plans they don't really have that to think about as well so these things are a lot more direct they, you don't have to uh, elect them on a much sort of like longer cycle and because you have these things in place it sort of like satiates people's uh, need to sort of vote because again currently right now, even though we don't have elections, local councils are a deeply political space, you know. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with how our council uh, makeup is made, a lot of it is determined by the local state assembly members that you have. Right. So the the sort of like the greater representation of a certain political party, the more local council members you can put into many of these spaces as well. And usually this is seen as a way for politicians to sort of like hone their skills at governing local spaces in that sense. So by opening this up, you not only make it so that people can sort of like influence how local, uh, you can measure how people in different communities see their local politics, but you can also allow for the proper independent parties to actually participate. So of course, the stakes are a lot lower. It's a lot easier to get a campaign running. And it would actually start to sort of like normalize the idea that, hey, we don't just have to, we don't just have influence on voting once every five years, but we can do things on a much more regular basis and in a much more meaningful way as well. So how do you think, um, how do you envision local council elections changing the political landscape of Malaysia? Because this is something that we've had at one point in Malaysian history um, prior to the 60s and 70s, we've had local council elections. It was very robust, very vibrant. Um, and then it got canned. 
And here we are, right? Right now, um, like you mentioned, it's the state legislative assembly members who hire the local councillors. The local councillors answer to their political masters and not the people. Why is that important? How will it change people's lives if we have local council elections? Well, I'm not an expert on local council elections. You know, this is just something that I think would be an interesting way of mm-hmm. it. So I think... Uh, the sort of like the implementation of it, probably you you probably find a better expert to sort of like speak about that. But in terms of how it can change the way people think about their mm-hmm. politics is that it's a way of trying to break the hegemony of top-centered politics that we have right now. Like even the like, as I, as I mentioned before, um, you know, everybody sees all the elected representatives as one-stop service centers when they shouldn't be looking in that in that way because that's how we're trained to look that we only think about you know the the MPs and the sort of like the state assembly members because those are the only people that we see very prominent and because these people are very clearly representing their parties that's why a lot of times you know there's a very common thing that you hear in Malaysia that oh we don't really vote for the candidate we vote for the party so when you break things down and you bring it to a much more local level you start to sort of like um um, you break that hegemony from the top web. It's very, very party focused, and you really start to make people think. I, these people, this person at the local council level, he may be from a party from this particular party that's part of the government, but he's doing a really bad job in this space, and because. If I vote him out, it's not going to destabilize the state government. It's not going to destabilize the federal government, definitely. And that allows people to feel that, oh, I have a lot more control in how I'm voting. And it gives them more power and more, um, and hopefully will instill this idea that maybe we should be thinking about candidates, we should be thinking about the platform and the actual manifesto. Like right now, uh, I feel that every candidate right now has a manifesto. And a lot of times these manifestos uh, are deeply problematic and they're often very vague they're very abstract they're not very very clear cut because they don't have to be they just uh, it's just sort of like this trendy thing now that politicians just need to have a manifesto but a lot of times a lot of them especially in this current state election a lot of different candidates are giving manifestos that don't even work for state state uh, elections because all of the issues are either at the federal level or mm-hmm. it is out of their control essentially how would you respond then to people who say you know but Ben, you are perhaps a politi- someone who is a, uh, observing politics, you know, regularly. Um, you're, you're into um, this whole um, uh, the, politi- the, the political landscape of Malaysia. Um, but, you know, so you might enjoy more elections, you know, you might want to exercise that power and all of that. But for the rest of people, you know, we don't want any more elections. You are suggesting we want local council elections on top of state elections. Isn't that a waste of money, um, a waste of time and, and all of that, right? Like some people might look at it that way, especially given how fatigued people are with politics right now. How would you respond to them? I would say that for certain parts of society, there is this understanding that when you vote for somebody to take power during a general election, you will give your utmost trust that they will do a good job. And that's something that has been inculcated from uh, sort of like BN era right. politics because that that was that was their entire campaign slogan for like a good 40 years basically. If you vote us out, say goodbye to your economic prosperity because they could they, that was their main selling point and it was really very good at selling that main idea essentially. But now, no political party can even 
provide that to like a sort of like a comfortable degree and so nobody really has that certainty and I think this whole idea that you know people are not really into politics people only want to vote every five years I mean that's really for me it's just people don't really uh, have a good understanding of what actually can politics do all our times it's this understanding that oh you know um uh, cost of living issues, you know, economic well-being. These are things that the government has to solve, so it doesn't matter who's in charge. But the thing is, your vote actually does actually have an effect. And for the most part, there is also this understanding that people who feel that politics is not something that they need to deal on a day-to-day basis usually are part of the status quo. They benefit from the current political system, and that's why they don't need to think about it as well. But for everybody else, people in the margins, people who are oppressed, people who are not enjoying many of these benefits, politics is on their mind constantly as well. So in a certain sense, I would say that, um, and I think on the issue of costs, one of the reasons why our elections are so expensive is because they are an extravagant expense that happens once every five years. Mm -hmm. So that's why all of our systems are designed to pretty much be focused on that. You know, we uh, make it in a way whereby everything, we sort of like pull out all the stops to sort of like pull to have these things once every five years. But as we've been seeing, that's not really the case anymore. Every time there's a state election, there's always a few million that just gets that spent on those situations as well. And that's simply because all of these elections now are being treated as ad hoc cases. They're all seen as extraordinary and we have to spend all that money because we don't actually have a system that supports that to make it cheaper. And if we were to regularize elections or make it so that we can build them on a schedule, we can make it more uh, so like streamlined and we can create spaces where, you know, all of these things are in place already. We don't have to erect new things to run it right there and then. We can, it will definitely drive costs down to certain degrees as well. You know, you can deputize people, you can, you know, uh, sort of like democratize, you know, the, the election commission to a certain degree. Like right now, every time we have elections, we spend so much money because we have to train people, we have to like pay all these people to do all of these things. But if you make it into a permanent fixture, make it uh, a lot more standardized, then it becomes cheaper in the long run. Again, these are things that um, it's definitely something that can be thought about as well, but shouldn't be just seen as, you know, like uh, it's going to be expensive because you can't use our current understanding of elections to sort of like think about how local council elections will also cost as well. Absolutely. Now, you you, you gave a rebuttal or, or sort of a, you, you explained um you know, to people who are either fatigued or think it is a waste of money. But there is also another camp who will say, you know, um, why is this um, pushing for local council um, elections important when the priority, um, there are bigger fish to fry, such as, um, you know, global economy or the green wave. Um, So why do we even need local council elections? How how do you um, expand on that? Oh, well, I think those two are quite different. You know, global economy, green wave is a Malaysian thing, right? Yeah, yes, yes. yes, so. yes. Uh, well, I mean, I think that's, again, how we've been taught to look at that, essentially, that politics can only happen at the macro level. And a lot of the small things are, these are just things that you just have to deal with, essentially. That's that's the training of, you know, uh, what, six, 60 years of independence has sort of like instilled in Malaysians, essentially. And I think that's really like the wrong way of looking at it because technically you should have some degree of control on other things. So you shouldn't just be, okay, I vote for this party because they have a good uh, sort of like plan of how to, uh, say, deal with climate change. But I, but I just 
hope that for everything else that affects me on a day-to-day basis, that they can also do a good job. But because the big picture issue is what they're focusing on, that I hope that all the other small issues, I just have to accept what they're doing. And that's not really the right way of doing it because why should you compromise on your politics? You should be able to... And I think that's something that we're seeing right now as well. Previously, it was always that whichever party would be best for your wallet was always the best choice. But I think right now, we're also seeing that Malaysians are starting to uh, become, hopefully, a lot more open in terms of their political ideology that you start to think about okay it's not just about who can deliver the most eco- uh, economic value but your actual values as a party as so well. you know what are the stands that you have on certain policies certain issues because those things are starting to become important for different groups of people because they may not affect your wallet but they can affect your the way that you live your life on a daily basis as well especially for people who are again as I mentioned from oppressed or marginalised communities absolutely and there's also this other idea right Ben, just to piggyback off what you just said, where um, you, you brought up this thing where politics is so macro and that's how people always look at it. And people don't realise that even like the, the big picture issues that you, you, you for, for example, you know, we're talking about global economy or you want to fight climate change, you have to first start at the local level or at least there are ties to the local level, how you build your highways, how you build, you know, your roads and, and all of this ties into the bigger picture of, of you know, even climate change and, and so on and so forth, right? Um, there is that that idea of building from the bottom rather than from the top. Okay, before we wrap this conversation up, Ben, would you have a final message, especially since we are just a couple of days away from the upcoming series of state elections? Um, I would say... Um don't treat this as a proxy to the mandate of the government because right now the government the current government based on the way that they are giving you know all these election goodies during this thing they very clearly see this as an important uh, an important event and it is a possible threat to their mandate essentially and I think right now uh, the reason why the when the when a federal government feels threatened by whatever issues that to its legitimacy they are going to start to double down on certain things rather than focus on what it needs to be doing which is to govern the country in a way that it sees fit we saw this very very spectacularly in you know under uh, Muhyiddin Yassin's uh, sort of like tenure essentially you know he was embattled so much that he you know shut down parliament he sort of like uh, restricted things in very very different ways as well and we are trying and the thing is that happened because he was under siege basically at every for an entire year he was under siege basically so the current government now is in a much more stable position there's not a lot of threats but Every time we see a lot of these things, the opposition doesn't uh, always use it as a way to sort of like challenge the government and challenge it constantly. And again, the reason why this is also getting a lot of weight is that a lot of people are supporting the opposition. And because they are sort of like... uh, engaging with this in a certain way, we're starting to see, I mean, this is the kind of rhetoric that basically has divided countries like America, you know, you've got, uh, you know, when when Donald Trump was voted into power, you've got all these people who are going like, not my president. And until today, that schism in that country exists until today. It is, I don't even know if they can ever repair it. And Malaysia, while we're not quite there yet, it is, we are, we could reach that point very, 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 so polarized right now. Yes, because, you know, if, you know, uh, if the opposition ever takes power, you're going to have a whole group of disenfranchised people who feel that similar to what they felt, you know, after the Sheraton move in 2020, that this is another backdoor government because it happened outside of elections. So, um, so until I would basically say that if you're going to vote, think about 
try, don't treat it as way. Even if you're talking to people, don't think about how this will affect the federal government because the more that people sort of like try to sort of like give credence to the idea that this is a proxy vote for the government, the more they're going to feel threatened and the more they're going to start doubling down on uh, sort of like pandering to different groups of people because they're going to feel that they're constantly under attack. So try to just sort of like separate it. I know it's very difficult and I think for the most part, people are not going to be able to see that because that's how we've been trained to think. But uh, that's really my aspiration for what I hope people take away from for this. Uh, people think about this when they go to the ballot box on Saturday. Ben, thank you so much for joining me today. All right. Thank you so much, Dashran, for having me. That was Benjamin Lowe, Senior Lecturer at the School of Media and Communication at Taylor's University. He's also a visiting fellow with the ICS Yusof Ishak Institute. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the VFM app.